do 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 it said i had an update but i didn't update it because i enjoy that song so much i don't want them to change it oh wait there might be an update that changes the song don't i don't i don't know don't check don't 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 check that what is it called the schopenhauer's cat box something like that what's great about that song is it feels like it's not quite a loop <laughs> it's just like a tiny bit shaved so it doesn't actually groove um i hadn't thought of that that is such an interesting because there's a lot of stuff like that now think about think about uh, a song we like to talk about sometimes you talk mm-hmm. about the album duke by Genesis. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And like, are, can you always count in to turn it on again successfully? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever gotten it right once. When the bomb, when that comes in, when Tony, when Tony hits the bomb. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Mm, I know what you're talking Because it starts off and it might as well be Teenage FBI by Guided by Voices. It starts out and you're hearing what sounds like four fours. You know, eighth yeah. notes, right? Yeah, yeah, eighth notes. Dunka, 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 dunka. And then at some point, Tony, what's Tony do? He turns the beat around. He goes, bah. oh, he has he the real percussion? I think you're thinking of Phil Collins. Jesus no, 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 Christ. but you can turn the beat around if you're not the drummer. You're saying you could turn, just the fact that you love percussion doesn't mean you, does not require, must needs be percussion. You could just be an enthusiast. Mm, no, I'm saying that the beat, hmm. the beat, the beat doesn't belong to anybody. The beat, the beat. Huh. The beat. Really? Yeah. And what, yeah, do, you remember, can... do you remember what the count is? I can't remember. It's, um, because the thing is, and one, you know, two, people. Three, four, five, six, seven, one, eight, nine, I want to say, you know what? Somebody's going to write me. And I, I, guys, I know. I I'm listen glad. to it almost I'm glad every that time. They write you. I, no, listen. I, I, no, I love that. Mm. Let me start over. Hello. I, I listen to that song a lot. I listen to it a lot on Sunday mornings when I take a shower. It's a really? Sunday morning shower song for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That and then Misunderstanding. I got to I gotta go to Misunderstanding then. Really? Yeah. When was the last time you watched the Genesis um, uh, puppet video? The, Land of uh, Confusion. B- B- Land of Confusion. Uh, one I accidentally saw in 1984, probably. <laughs> no, I, I bounced hard by then, dude. This, you know, this is one of those uh, Mr. Show Star Wars versus Empire Strikes Back things. Like, you, I see. Right, right. Like, like you know, we don't talk about you know Billy Joel here, but, but right, I'm, right. Because I'm a Billy Joel guy. You're a Phil Collins guy. You got to sure. be one. You can only be one. Sure. <laughs> but it sounds like you are a Phil Collins guy. I am. I, yeah. I, I, I am. It's, it's funny you should say that. The, one of the latest items added to my video library is a, a better copy than what I had before of Three Sides Live. Mm-hmm. So that's up there. As far as watching that, you know, I don't watch a lot of televisual Genesis. Um, you know, that was going to be the future, video content. Um, there's a... It, sorry, go. No, no, no. I'm just saying, like, you know, we were we were headed... To all video world, everything we did, we would be doing video right, right. now. Right, right, like, right. Like that time not that long ago. When something comes along, like right now, of course, the big one is AI-related stuff. Whenever a new thing comes along, uh, you always feel this, setting aside all the other things one feels, you do feel this like, oh, man, this is going to be everything now. And I guess in the case of music videos and MTV for a while, it kind of was for somebody from Central Florida in 1982. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Um, I've, I, I think I've sent you this fellow's videos before. I hate to sound like such a shill, but there's this guy. The account is called Trash Theory on YouTube. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, and he does he does a wonderful series called uh, New British Canon. And um, he recently, that's not about the Light Brigade or, or Iron Maiden for that matter. <laughs> <laughs> I know too much about tiny things. And anyways, so the guy, he did a video about Eurythmics and Sweet Dreams are made of this. But as usual, he places this in, in a broader context. And in that context, for the, you know this, I know this, the, the real heads who are aging and can't afford to retire will know when MTV first came on, they did not have a lot of videos. <laughs> oh, no. No, they didn't. That's why the first video I ever saw was Captain Sensible's What? What? Which I, which I refer to all the time because it's the first video I ever saw. It might mentally confuse him with Bob Welch a lot. Uh, uh, Captain Sensible? Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's got a new rose. He's got a new rose. Okay, so here's the thing, though. And everybody knows this, blah, blah, whatever. Um, like that, like, oh, God, I got so sick of... A song was a pretty good song, but was considered a majestic video at the time, The Motels. Was it Only Little Lonely, maybe? <clears throat> oh, yeah. yeah, well... Was or that, no, no, that, whatever their... It was like, that's like I told you. And in mm-hmm. my head, she says, Only the Lonely Get Laid, but I think that's just because I was 14. But anyways, they had those. You had Peace, Love, and Understanding, you know, all the ones. But, you know... The story goes, and I believe this, that to fill the titular 24 hours, they had to pull in uh, kinds of music that had videos. And this is something people, and I'm not saying this to you, I know you know this, but I'd like to talk about this. People in the UK, in, in, uh, specifically, but in Europe in general, have been doing music videos for a long time. I mean, I remember on... I want to say on like... Um, didn't Casey Kasem have a TV version of American Top 40... Or, no. you know, but anyway, I remember seeing the video for that t- really not very good video for do 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 da 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 where they're running around in the snow. Right. Not a very good video, but that they had that because the police were making videos. The police did a video for So Lonely in like 1978. And that's what they had to show, right? Right. Well, and that's why we all became such huge fans of the second British invasion. Hey. Yeah. Did you, had you watched it? No. Because that's, that's the term that he uses. In the, God damn it, John. I can never... I, you, say, you don't own a TV, right? No, I don't know anything. You know. <laughs> this episode of Roderick on the Line is brought to you in part by Squarespace. You can learn more about Squarespace right now by visiting squarespace.com slash supertrain. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing your business online. You can stand out with a beautiful website and engage with your audience and sell anything, whether it's your products, the content that you create, uh, even your own time. Uh, So much you can do with Squarespace. You can create a community on your very own Squarespace site with a fully integrated commenting system that supports threaded comments, replies, and likes. And you can use Squarespace's powerful blogging tools to categorize, share, and schedule your posts. All Squarespace sites are optimized for mobile, so they look great right out of the box. Uh, your, your content will automatically adjust to whatever template you choose. Uh, your site looks great on any device or dingus. And maybe you want to save time on cross-posting. Well, you can. It's built right in because Squarespace can auto-post your stuff to Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook, uh, personal or brand pages. All post entries and images are optimized and tagged, so descriptions and titles will be correct uh, wherever you are posting. I'm a big fan of Squarespace, and uh, and you're using Squarespace right now because that, of course, is where we host the Roderick on the Line podcast. Uh, they've been great to me, and they're going to be great to you. So head on over to squarespace.com slash supertrain. Get yourself a free trial with no credit card required. 
And when you're ready to launch, use our very special offer code SUPERTRAIN. That's going to save you 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain. Once again, squarespace.com slash SUPERTRAIN, offer code SUPERTRAIN for 10% off your first purchase. Our thanks to Squarespace for supporting Roderick on the Line and all the great shows. Piece of shit. I put ice cream in my coffee this morning because I don't have any cream. That's who I am. Well, it lasts longer, that's for sure. Yeah, it's not as good, though. I mean, it's not that this is not video content. This is not like, oh, Ugh. wow, I'm on to something new and now it's ice yeah, cream from now on. Yeah, yeah. No, it's not made for that. Yeah, I don't know, man. That's what the world is today. Hey, I know hey. everything's everything's really frustrating to me right now. I mean, I'm really happy. I'm really happy. I had a very nice time away with my family last week, and I, I'm in a great mood. I feel good. The reason the reason I pushed this week, the, the listener doesn't need to know this, but as you know, whatever's mm-hmm. in the show is in the show. Right. I just want a little bit of extra time because it turns out Mondays are like when I get a lot of stuff done. Really. Well, kind of, and that's why I like lasagna and hate normal. Yeah, you do, even though he's world's cutest kitten. Are you sure? Yeah, it's right there in the, he's got a TM, world's cutest kitten TM. That's smart, Jim Davis. Yeah, yeah that's right. Um, I wonder if he's related to Ann B. Davis. Probably not. Um, mm-hmm. But Never occurred to me. Every, oh, she's the, she's the center square in the Brady Bunch. Uh, oh, yeah, I know, but I, it never occurred to me that they would be related. Well, I assume all people named Davis. Seems like Davis is one of those. It's not quite Jones, but it's but it's Does a it lot mean closer something? Than, you know, like Cooper means barrel maker, Fletcher means arrow maker. Does Davis mean draws cats? Huh? Davis, Dave. Well, no, could mean center square. This of Dave. Davis. Mm-hmm. Davis. Tears of lease. Yeah, it's got to have something to do with killing the French. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 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 pretty, pretty small. Oh wait! Or no, it might be. It no. might be about killing uh, the Saxons. It might be Davies. It might be uh, French. It's or, or it could French. be killing an Arab, and then they leave it off the record after that. Kill it an Arab. When I first figured out how to play that, you ever, you ever figure out how to play that? You do the like, no. you do on the low E, you do, let's say you do low E starting arbitrarily at, say, seventh fret. And then on A, you're doing like the fifth fret. Um, Think about that. Boom, boom, boom. And then you go down chromatically. Bam, bam, bam. Do you have a guitar? Half the things I know about guitar, you have taught me. Well, that, that makes it almost three, probably. There's the Hank Williams. Yeah, I still do that. No, I do that. I learned about that from lots of different places, uh, mainly from Neil Young on Tell Me Why, and of course from the great Paul Westerberg on uh, If Only You Were Lonely. Oh, I see. It, it, it had already converted once. Well, yeah, I mean, but this is the thing. This is the thing. We, 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 we use words so other people learn words. We, we play riffs in G or C because so anybody, other a people, child could do that. I see. Yes, of course. But a child doesn't know that. When I was no. young, I thought as a child. You know, I don't know that. And you I'm know that. You know so much more than you think, John. I but barely what, do. What were we talking about? We're talking about, oh, yeah, everything's the worst. Um, oh, well, yeah. So you're frustrated. Yeah. That's what you were about to say. You're frustrated. Tell, oh, tell us about Oh, yeah, that. yeah. But we're also bouncing off of trash theory and the idea that, like, when something's new and big and potentially, mm. like, ooh, scary, like, it becomes oh, everything. No. And, you know, apparently, AI is going to result in Skynet becoming self aware and we're all going to die, like, all of us really I could not possibly have more mixed feelings about it. But, of course, I don't want to be destroyed. By Skynet, but like nope. one does not get to choose that. Skynet does what it does. That's why it's Skynet. Sure, but it's also Although, it, it's pretty crazy what you can do. Do you not get to choose it? What? 
Well, here's my question. Are you, are you making an, an Ayn Rand sort of, uh, if you choose not to decide type situation? Oh, uh, you have still decided. Ooh, yes. <laughs> Chosen you have. Why are we talking about old Yoda? <laughs> if they were going to send Reese back uh, to defend uh, uh, John's mother from the Terminator, mm-hmm. why didn't send, they just, I'm sorry, send, send, send back who? Send Reese, right? Oh. Reese, the, are, you talking, are you talking about Michael uh, Michael uh, Bean's Michael Landon. character? Yeah, oh, Michael, well, my, he's dead, man. He's an they angel. sent Michael Landon back. Michael to the Landon prairie. is sent back in a, in a TARDIS. No, it's the old it's the old go back and kill Hitler thing. Why would you if you had time travel? Oh wait, oh I know now. They didn't have time travel. It was the Terminator that had time travel, and he just jumped in. So it wasn't like the rebels were. Able to set where the time travel machine was. how it went. happened, but John, John Connor had some kind of thing he'd figured out. Well, yeah, but what it was was that the, that the, that the Skynet was uh-huh. sending the robot back mm-hmm. to kill the, the lady. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm sorry. Yes. So they sent Terminator 1. Yes. To kill the lady. Right. Sarah. And then, yeah, and he had to go through the phone book. <laughs> and then, and then, and then Reese. Reese, the rebel boy, had to go back too to save Sarah. But, mm. and, and so my question was, well, why didn't he just go kill the people at the Cynodyne company who were making the Skynet, the Skynodyne? Oh, I see what you're saying. You're saying it's consequences all the way down. Yeah, if you're going to go, if you, if you can go back and kill Hitler, why not go back and kill Hitler, Hitler's mother? Why not go back and kill Hitler's art teacher or whatever? When we were out of town with the family, I, I sometimes I like to watch. I have this new. Oh man, it was such a good trip. I have this new thing which is like happy time, sad media. So um, happy listen, time, sad happy, media. You're having a good time. You listen to sad media. If you're having I a see. bad oh. time, you know it's like the Elliot Smith thing. Okay, go on. Oh my God, we were eating. We ate out at this Italian place in um, near Mendocino, mm. and this guy he was totally inhabiting this Leonard Cohen way of playing guitar and singing at the Italian restaurant, which I thought was hilarious from the time we walked in, and then he fucking covered between the bars, wow. <laughs> and Madeline and I locked eyes. Like, what is happening? <laughs> what kind of what kind of uh, uh, Italian restaurant has a Leonard Cohen after? After I think, world you know, you work in restaurants. It. I think eventually yeah. you stop noticing the music. Yeah, but I think there are a lot of restaurants that co- consciously understand not to have music while people are eating. He the did, two things aren't really cat compatible. He did Blackbird. Sure. He did, you know, some of the some of the acoustic. He was pretty. He was pretty good. I gave him did, five bucks. Old man, did he do Old Man? Take a look at my life. Mm-mm. No, he could have done Tell Me Why, which I can mostly play kind of in G. Mm-hmm. You could have um, jammed with him. Well, see, this is the thing you do is you torment your child. I imagine you do this a little bit. The guy, the guy, he's, I look up and I notice the guy's not playing between the bars anymore. Oh. And he's gone. And I say, uh, I said, Bill, you, I'm, I'm going to go up there and yeah, fill sure. in while he's on break. Do you have anything you'd particularly like to hear? And he, of course, even knowing I'm joking, was like, do not move. Do not, do not get it. out of your seat. <laughs> you know, I would have gone for maybe like, I will. I start playing the spoons under the table is what I do. Dang it. You know. <laughs> Luckily, I brought along this mini banjo. Because <laughs> it's like, hey, hey, you know what? You, uh-huh. can, have, you can have a little bit of a backbeat. <laughs> I, I was, uh, I was you, in a You re- want to jam, man? I was in a restaurant in, in uh, Charleston, and uh, there was a piano player and a rattling saxophone chains. player. And they kept, no, it wasn't rattling change. They kept, uh, they kept, uh, they kept up a pretty steady uh, hot jazz. Mm. Throughout the steak dinner, and it was like, was it imposing? Is, was it like, I mean, like, so like seriously, you mean like when you say hot, like you don't you don't mean like twenties jazz, I mean no, like, but no, like 
two guys going. No, it was Edison Sound Recording Company, Elliot Smith between the bars. I think music in a restaurant uh, really depends on your proximity to the musicians. Like if you're at a table right next to everybody, I'll make it so easy for everybody. And it's like it's like uh, it's like a personal scent, uh, a soap, a cologne, a parfum. Um, I should I should have to struggle to hear the music in a restaurant. That should be that quiet. It's not it's not a rock show, dude. Okay. um, Wow, this is a good episode already. you know uh, what it is? You know what it what, is? What? It, people make the mistake, they get a gathering of people together, and then that's one of the only, it's it's one of the <laughs> only analogs to a concert, right? Where are the other places that we all gather together? Oh, it's an it's audience like, in the absence of rock. Yeah, and, and why not? I mean, yeah. it, it's the natural thing to add, uh, other than like a political protest. You well, have having, having, a a, having a beer, but like, having hey, let's beer. put on some music. Like, now we're having a party, mm-hmm. right? Kind mm-hmm. of? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, you know, oh gosh, I already have so many things I want to talk to you about, and, 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 you know, and I don't know why I talk to anyone, but, but I said to my family, because, uh, you know, it, yeah, okay, so whatever, it's weird. Like, you remember, well, maybe, perhaps, I don't know where you were in life then, but you might remember when uh, Elliot Smith, who I should always mention, not just in passing, is one of my all-time favorite artists, and that yes. either or, almost not single-handedly, but helped a lot at a very difficult time in my life. Listening to that very sad album and then knowing there'd be one minute and 40 seconds of say yes every night as I fell asleep crying in life. Mm -hmm. Um, Very important to me. Um, But do you remember when he was on the Oscars with um, Celine Dion and Faith Hill? I do remember. He had that big white suit and he had to come out and sing a little bit of, it might have been between the bars, that or... Miss, maybe Miss Misery. Miss, probably Miss Misery. No, I, yeah, or Big Nothing. I don't remember. I think, it might, I think Miss Misery might have been the actual nomination. But supposedly, and you're like, oh my God. Supposedly. Imagine Elliot Smith just being in the same building with Celine Dion. And not, I'm not here to make jokes about this, but like she's a big personality with a, you know, a big everything. And he's like, he just always seems like he cannot get far enough inside of his shell. And, and apparently Faith Hill and supposedly, according to Mr. Smith, um, they were both really nice to him because he was obviously like way out of his depth. Yeah. Well, you know, we, uh, we, we take a lot of proprietary feeling of over Elliot Smith up here in Seattle, even though he's a Portland musician. Yeah. yeah you yeah. know, we, we, um, we definitely felt like he was one of us. He did, he played so many shows up here when it was, well, yeah, I'm trying to explain this to my goddamn like kid. Like Kill, he was on Kill Rockstars at first, right? So he was more adjacent to like what we then thought of as Riot Girl stuff than to say, I don't know, even I was going about to say smog, but not even smog. I mean, he wasn't like a like a mainstream folky by any stretch at the time. He was pretty obscure at the time. There were several several years where he was a secret Northwest. You know, he was in the same category as Built to Spill and mm-hmm. and um you know that we had all these bands up here that nobody ever heard of. Dude, was Heatmiser considered a Portland band? Yeah. Oh mm-hmm. yeah. And so the ones that broke out and got big weren't always the ones that you would expect. And and uh, and after years and years, <laughs> why, why isn't Calvin Johnson bigger? I mean, yeah, I, I can tell you why. But uh, like, what, I wonder. I wonder how many people have had weddings where like a. A Calvin Johnson, like a beat happening song, was their first dance. Zero times. <laughs> right. 
But you know, when Modest Mouse got huge or when Portugal the Man got huge, it's always a big surprise because because those yeah, bands yeah, have been yeah. around for a thousand years. And and, uh, and you they, might have known them. I mean, like the way I say Heat Miser, I'm not trying to be hip, but like you might go, oh yeah, or like like um, what was um, what was Doug March? You know, Tree People, right before Tree that? People, yeah. But like Tree People is really really good, and you can hear the beginnings of what would become like Built to Spill. But it's so fun, and they do Big Mouth Strikes again, and it's so anarchic. Isn't it possible though? You go, oh yeah, I used to like that band. That guy was in, you know, two bands ago. Like I've seen them a bunch of times, and now he's in this other band, and you're hearing it on the radio. Yeah, that's just that. That's uh, for for whatever reason, the era that we lived in in Seattle. That was what happened. Every once in a while, mm-hmm. somebody, you know, Father John Misty came out of the kind of nowhere, or I mean, not out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. He was the look out Hollywood he, here. I come. He was the second drummer <laughs> of uh, of the Fleet Foxes, and then it's like, oh, now he took his shirt off, and now everybody loves him. Uh, but uh, but yeah, when Elliot Smith was on. The TV. It was like when the first time Nirvana played Saturday Night Live, we kind of all <clears throat> up here, we all gathered around the TV. Of course. Because it was one of us who had who was in that weird other world. Yes, it's enough, but like people you would just see around. Right? Yeah. Well, or just like I mean, the for a couple of years, the 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 conceit of an Elliott Smith show in Seattle and in the Northwest, in Portland too, was that everybody sat on the floor and you could yeah. hear a pin drop. That's why I got yelled at at a low concert once. Yeah, you're supposed there was there were rules to going to see Elliot Smith and and <laughs> and you were supposed to, you went to the Crocodile which the night before I would had, not sit on that floor <laughs> had, had featured Monster Magnet and now everybody's sitting on the floor, you know, just like you can't yeah, you can't get off of it at the end like of the night. Like it's fucking romper room. Uh, so so watching him do it, but then of course at that time, I don't know, well there were a lot of strong feelings around here like even then, Quiet is the New Loud, there were people here that were like, grow the fuck up. Mm-hmm. And that was a hard that was a hard universe to be in, especially because either roar hit everybody the same way, like a fucking like a laser beam through everybody. It's where, it's it's amazing. Like I thought this the first time I heard it, and I still think it whatever how many ever twenty some years later, it's it's like <laughs> I mean, there's a reason Gus Van Sant lost his shit about that record. It's got like five unimpeachable, this could be the greatest song this person's written. And it was the the sound that nobody had thought of, which is... This is a record that sounds like someone making a record in their apartment in the middle of the night. And it they sounds don't like want they're the- trying. I mean, well, you go back one record. You go back to the self-titled, right? I think the self-titled one. You first hear the first track, which I think is Needle in the Hay. You hear Needle in the Hay, uh, which many of you will know from a very uncomfortable scene in um, Royal Tenenbaums. Very sad scene. But like when you hear dung, 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 you're like, what? It sounds like he's trying not to wake up a roommate while he's mm-hmm. recording. <laughs> so all those records did. And when, that's when, when, uh, when XO came out and it was more it was like whoa this is there's more now there what are you doing stop doing more keep doing go back go back to the other one yeah keep doing less but of course that was the that was that vibe yeah but no the uh him at the oscars there was that side of the scene the the cat power side which was like Mm. hi i'm a beautiful person i'm very talented i'm making records but i'm also too shy to live Mm-hmm. And I will, I will yeah, she, spend. She would, she would duet with Bob Pollard before she would duet with you know whatever uh, Enrique Iglesias or something. 
But she also did this thing when she was on tour, which is like she would climb under the table and peek out from under the the table. <laughs> You're clock. kidding! I remember Joel R. L. Phelps. The one time I saw Silkworm played the, back when they played in suits, matching suits. Joel yeah. Phelps would just sit on a chair. I know you're thinking, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, you're thinking King Crimson. No, he just was so hostile. He wouldn't even face the audience. He sat in a chair and his back to the audience. Yeah. That kind of thing. Bonnie Prince Billy used to do this too. Like act like he was a confused mountain boy that had come down and didn't know how electric lights worked. But at the same time, off stage, it really did. Except for painting his, his fingernails with whiteout. Apart from that, he really did seem like he had just come out of the hills. The problem was anytime you opened up a magazine, there was a six-page photo shoot with Cat Power and Bonnie Prince Billy. Which means they both have press people. Well, but also as someone who has done a photo shoot, it means they were capable of standing in front of lights and a camera for half a day (laughs) under makeup while someone else changed their clothes over and over. Right. So not somebody like so shy that they can't live in the world. Those like a photo shoot is maybe one of the <laughs> Why most is the sun so bright in this. It's room? like so hard. It's like the yeah. it's like a ton of work to to be at a photo shoot and you have to be very conscious of how you, you, do, you look. feel like you do feel like meat a little bit. And so to then have your your and it, it wouldn't bother me. Because I love the whole, like, I just came down from the mountains and don't know how, you know, like, where, what are all these four-wheeled carts? They're moving so fast. I think that's hilarious. It's just that there was the generation slightly younger than me completely bought it. And they were like, hey, oh, you know. this is adjacent. You have to sit on the floor. Yeah, this is adjacent to a, a bigger point of yours, I think, maybe unintentionally, but like that whole, like, authenticity issue. A little oh, bit. yeah. Oh, yeah. And authenticity before that, the, the, the. The, the one where it was like, we don't take, you know, we don't take money for our shows because money is bad. And so everybody just bring one corn cob and that's all that we're charging. <laughs> it's like, okay, that's a kind of, you know, that's, that's an authenticity. Oh, yeah, I, saw them. I think I saw them on corn cob night. Yeah. They were, you remember? And then they take oh, yeah. all the corn cobs in a bin and they give it to the, uh-huh. they give it to the pigs. <laughs> Um, Please, sir. Can I have more corn yeah, cob? And those guys are, you know, those guys are working at Best Buy now. Yeah. But the but the thing where where everybody became both beautiful and also uh, Appalachian was a thing was a, like a bridge too far for me. Where it's like pick a side. You're either real. You're either in a photo shoot and spin, right. or you are making records in your basement and you can't. Either, stand either the camera steals your soul or it doesn't. Yeah, exactly. And with the, and with Elliot, it was it, it, it seemed like it could be both. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, well, you, you know, being on tour is really hard, and you meet you have to I meet a lot of people. You could tell it was real with him because he was trying to be a good sport, but you could tell. I mean, just watching him perform, I've, I've seen him three times, yeah. and like it's just you could tell it's just life was painful for that guy. You could just you could feel it. And he was trying, but the reason I say you could tell it was real because he was trying to be game about it. He wasn't trying to be more difficult. He wasn't trying to be more opaque. He was just like, oh God, how soon can I not be here? Yeah, but the problem is heroin, right? And as soon it as you started entered, with drinks, it started with like drinking and drugs. But the, the heroin was pretty early. Did you ever? Did you ever see a show of his where he actually nodded off on stage? Because I have. Well, I had. To, I told this. I didn't have to. I chose to tell this anecdote to my kid when we went to see the Beths. 
And we were looking on the walls for the posters that we've, there's a place in town called, um, God, what's it called? Uh, it doesn't matter, but there's a place in town that specializes in framing the size posters that the Fillmore gives away. So uh-huh. on our wall for years, we've had an Elliott Smith poster. We've had, uh, I think maybe a Stereo Lab, but these three posters. And I was trying to find it, right? And anyway, long story short, I ended up telling my kid, I, saw, I once saw Elliott Smith two days in a row. I saw him solo at Amoeba um, in The Hate, right? Cool. Cool. And he was, it was, you know, those kinds of shows, <clears throat> you can find these online, usually from LA, like you'll see people doing this, but like pretty intimate. And like, I don't think people sat on the floor, but it was incredible. And the next night, woof, it was rough. This culminates circa 2000, probably, I forget when he passed, but Oranger opened for them, which is probably not a great choice, but Oranger opened for them. And at one point at Great American, Mike had to come, Mike Drake had to come out and tune Elliot Smith's guitar for him on stage. Mm. I mean, it, was, it wasn't funny. It wasn't fun. He could barely finish any of the songs. So, yes, yeah, I have right. seen that. But that's then you right. never know, because then a couple nights later, it might be really good. The apogee of all of that, for me, were two films, two films that you can still watch. Mm-hmm. One of them, I'm Trying to Break Your Heart by Wilco. And the other one is that tour movie by Radiohead. Both Meeting, of meeting which, people is easy. Meeting people is easy. Which Both is, of which are feature-length. I bought DVDs the day I got a computer that could play DVDs. I bought Rushmore, and I bought that. Those are the first two DVDs I ever bought. Feature-length films, where the whole premise of the film is that these very successful bands who are like in the business of show <laughs> are so awkward and uncomfortable that they can barely survive just the normal amount of like doing stuff that any and every band has to do. And also that they have zero control over their own lives and are being forced to do this by mysterious uh-huh. other, other powers. So like if you're a band there's, and you don't want like wanna... an injustice in, I mean, I'm, I'm honestly asking. So there's almost like there's an injustice in terms of like, we're here to do music and make the, make the nice people happy, but we're set upon by all these forces that we don't control that are trying to industrialize what we do and make us into something. Kind of. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a furtherance of the, like somebody is making Jimi Hendrix make four albums a year and Jimmy just wants to, uh, have a vacation, but there's but there's someone, some manager or some force behind the scenes, some Colonel that, Tom, basically, yeah, that won't let him rest, right? And 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 then and so he dies, and we all look back and go, well, why didn't Jimmy just take a weekend off? Why didn't Jimmy take a year off? Like, why did we used to think that that Creedence Clearwater <laughs> Revival needed to put out four <laughs> albums in 1969. Yeah, right. And I mean, they're all great. They're all the greatest albums. It's, unbe- it's unbelievable what they did so quickly. Yeah. But but the idea that, it and, and it, do, it does happen when you're an artist and you're like, well, I got to, you know, I got to keep going, otherwise I'm going to die. But the, but, the, but the idea by that point in life that, you know, somebody coming up and saying, hey, I really like your band, and your reaction would be that you wince, and the and and the problem was that we as the people watching the movie have been trained by that point to go oh my god just leave them alone yeah but we're, but we're watching the movie aren't we but, yeah but we're you know we paid uh, at the time what you can go, you can go back to, to what was the one um, different state of mind the one about um, 
the the punk rock band where everybody quits the band um, on tour. <laughs> remember that? I forget the name every of that. punk band. Yeah, yeah. I forget the name. It was that. <laughs> no, I don't remember that. Oh, but yeah, but it's I get I get what you're saying. But then in the ironic part or the I hate to say it, but critical. The interesting part of that is then that becomes part of the refusenit culture of the truly greats. Like, well, one reason people like Bob Dylan is like he's he is hasn't historically anyway used to kind of reinvent himself seems like just to vex people yeah but he every was, time slightly he, worse <clears throat> right right until you get to like self-portraits or portrait or whatever but he's but the thing is he was on columbia records well neil young being the classic example of that from 1979 to 1991 uh, heard it referred to as genre hell he he with millions of dollars at stake up yeah. against the entire record industry <clears throat> decided he was going to make a doo-wop record like so it, it is and that's a great song <laughs> that's a great song the video is so weird but he's you yeah. know what he's trying to do is do rock pile or he's trying to yeah, 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 he, yeah. he's just like guess what and so it was always possible you just needed to be a, a big enough dick a, or a smug enough dick or have a have a child that is severely disabled and nobody knows about that you're just like actually right. I'm That's, just making the story music. there is the transformer was he wanted to use a vocoder to better communicate with his son on the spectrum yeah exactly or like hard on the spectrum yeah like and, real real yeah, yeah 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 and so he's just on his he's just in Neil Youngtown where he's like no I'm making music to talk to my kid I didn't mention that to David Geffen <laughs> uh, as as part of the reasons why I he took, sure got a lot of second, third, fourth chances, didn't he? Well, he did, and then he he'll comes finally out like with, this. This what is it called? This this whatever this notes the, for the, you. This the, notes for you. Yeah, it's like oh my gosh, Neil Young is back, and he's really putting it to the man. And it's like mm, yeah, yeah, it's, but, yeah. You know, I bought it. I did but that it. song is really dumb, and but that was a you know he was like oh you want a record that sells five million copies? I can do that too. Yeah, but you uh, like rocking in the free world, right? I mean, I, I mean, it's got I, the it's got the e it's got the edc. I oh. like it, dun, dun, but dun, you know, dun. that's if I had like a if I had fifty songs to play, like right. rocking in the free world would not be in the can top I pull, can I can I 25. unintentionally pull pull a little bit of this together and then throw right back to you? Oh sure, Bacon Ray opened for Party Prince Billy and the Anomenon. I was a bigger, I mean, I liked Palace, but I was I really liked Ned's band, Anomenon, mm -hmm. and we opened for them, and we decided to be dicks, not dicks, not dicks. We wanted, we wanted to, sure. we were the local band, and we so we 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 just we thought in 1998 or nine, it's just the whole, you know, the whole Will thing had gotten a little silly. I mean, we yeah. all we all liked those records a lot. Sure, I especially great. loved like I am a cinematographer and stuff like that. But we decided we wore capes. We made capes out of bed sheets <laughs> and came out to like, just of just to be, you did. yeah. And then we did. The, I have I have MP3s of these. We have two covers that I really like. One was Slow Ride. We did a really long version of so, Slow Ride. But the famous we did um Keep on Rocking in the Free World is our last. Song. Oh my god, that's genius! <laughs> it was so dumb. That's what the genius. fuck were we doing? You were doing Rockin' in the Free World at a Bonnie Prince Billy show. I would like to say that capes. Ned Oldham is a very very good and nice person and the anomenon is an underrated man that's all oh, i have to well, say about that i totally agree yeah yeah the thing is that i had i had as an example like over here and then over here over there yeah this guy. there was the pernice brothers oh, God. who were making the greatest rock oh, music God. in history and approaching it as like well we're basically just carpenters working on this old house but they know how to put a b minor in a bridge they put everything and then <sighs> They and then they travel the country making incredible music, completely unpretentiously. Uh, yeah. There's zero pretense, <clears throat> and 
Like that, if you want authenticity, yeah, that's yeah. to me was authenticity. Like, mm-hmm. and part part of the reason is nobody wanted Joe Pernice in their clothes in spin. Nobody was like, oh man, because you know, because <laughs> he did look like a carpenter. Joe, Joe Pernice, what are you wearing? Balenciaga. <laughs> what am I wearing? Carhartt. <laughs> My people are simple. <laughs> so, so yeah. there were plenty of examples. Uh, if you were looking for amazing music made by real people who did not seek the spotlight, and those bands did not become huge bands because they weren't doing six-hour photo shoots, <laughs> and they weren't selling records because they were beautiful. And I mean, to say that Bonnie Prince Billy is beautiful, he is beautiful. Mm. He's weird, but he's, he's beautiful. Weird. Right? He's a very strange head. He has a strange head, He's but he's bald, he's got weird wispy hair, mm-hmm. but he is- He was a big old bear once. In a weird way, totally gorgeous, right? Yes. In a way that yes. there are a lot of bands that are just made up of regular people that are- But, 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 but most- like a cluster of mushrooms that hasn't been kicked yet. He's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> but most, most bands that aren't beautiful are like most bands, also not good. But Pernice Brothers and Scud Mountain Boys and that oh, whole, gosh, that whole so universe- good. Those records are unimpeachable. That, like, that record with Working Girls is that and that has seven thirty on it. I think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Holy God, it's just it's it's just, it's so it's, it's so gentle. It's so heartbreaking without being morose. You know what I mean? It's so difficult to do to make. I don't know what you call it, power pop, chamber pop, like something that's it's a kind of pop. It's just that it's sure. so well crafted that you don't go, oh, you know, this sounds like the Archies or something. <laughs> but like, there's something so he really gets it. He tugs at my heartstrings, John, and without being morose. I don't know how he does it. Well, because he's not, he's not, uh, he's not playing the song "Grudge Fuck." I'm sorry to say, it has the word "fuck" in the title, mm. and it also has the word "grudge" in it. Uh, there's nothing pretty about... <laughs> Fuck Grudge <laughs> sounds like a Melvin song. <laughs> Fuck Grudge, exactly. And if they had called it something else, maybe, if they had given it a title that was like uh, something, in, something inscrutable, yeah. but like it's, a, it's a, a, an A.C. Newman level heartbreaker. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it also at the same time just feels like the most working class thing that you could make um and i don't you know like when i say working class i just mean like that boston thing where hmm, yeah. where they they've got tools in their car not in their truck they have tools in their car uh it might be like a i don't know it feels like a universe apart from my world yeah i toured with those guys you know i i, 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 I well, did a long you remember tour. when that was oh it was like what it wrote record for you or approximately yeah, when we when we look back, that was kind of the moment. There was a moment. It's we I think of it as our Decemberists moment, where the um, mm. Pretend to Fall had just come out. Yeah, and we had signed on to do what was called a co-headline with Pernice Brothers, and halfway through the tour, it was clear that we should be the headliner. In terms and of draw? In terms of draw. Mm-hmm. Like, the record was doing well. It was on college radio. People were excited about it. And, you know, Pernice was kind of, this This was <sighs> late. And it, so this would have been 2003. And I talked to uh, a friend of the show, Colin Malloy, one time. 
And he said, I think the secret to our success is we never opened for anybody. We went out as the headliners on our first ever tour and we played to five people a night. And then, on one hand, that's really smart. On the other hand, I really want to hit him. Well, but that's, but then I later. What, I do see what he's saying. I do. And what he said was, when you open the newspaper looking for the show to go to, you don't look at who's second on the bill unless you're already interested in the headliner. And you would have discovered it a way other than browsing the newspaper. You would discover it from a listserv or your friend. Yeah, if you're if you are like listening to the radio and you're like, oh, that band is cool. That when you're when you open the newspaper and see the the shows, maybe the second band isn't even on the listing, you know, in the in the old newspaper days. Mm-hmm. And so he said, every time we went out, we never opened for anybody. We were offered all these tours opening, and. Our tours just got bigger and bigger every time. Well, the long winners, our booking agent, the beloved Matt Hickey, <laughs> he did what, what seemed more sensible, which was let's put the long winners out with bigger bands. Let's it's have like them- what Tom says to Cousin Greg. You're going to climb the dating ladder. You're going to, right? Your proximity to this band and your exposure to these audiences must raise your boat, right? Yeah. Is that, gonna that, go, that's the theory, right? That's the theory. You're going to play in front of Death Cab audience. The audience is already 1,200 people where you guys would be playing to 100 people. And so if you convert even 5% of the Death Cab audience, your audience is growing. But there's a moment when you're the headliner. You have to be. You have to take your lumps, but, you, but it's your career now. You're not out there supporting. And we never really learned that lesson but that pernice brothers tour was the was kind of a turning point where halfway through people were coming to see us and then leaving and we weren't uh we weren't quite big enough to to go to those guys and say hey actually we're changing the bill that's the thing i've been wanting to ask you for two minutes i don't know quite how to ask this uh, obviously, the, the question becomes, whose job is it to say or do something about that? I'm guessing a tour manager. But ultimately, whose job is it to notice that that's a thing that might need to be addressed? Because I bet that's a really awkward conversation. Well, imagine if, imagine if Matt Hickey or Similar had said to Colin Malloy, hey, look, you guys need to be the opening act for long winners. Who, who right. says that? Who's the one who has to bring that up? Well, so we didn't have a tour manager, so we had one person – Missing from oh, that's that equation. a book, booking manager. Booking right? agent. Sorry. Okay. Right. And so much of the uh, the entertainment business is happening between booking agents. Uh, one of them is in San Francisco, and one of them is in Los Angeles, and they're on the phone with each other. And the one of them says, "Hey, my band's bringing a lot more people in than your band," mm-hmm. and the other one says, "Suck shit." Mm-hmm. And then the first one says, "Well, if you don't, you know, flip this bill." Then the next time you send Lucinda Williams out and I have, uh, you know, seven Bob Dylan shows, I'm going to tell you what you just said to me. And then the, the second guy has to evaluate that threat and decide whether it's worth it because the Decembrists and the Long Winters level or the Pernice Brothers and Long Winters is such chicken feed to those people. But everything's a deal. Everything is a is some kind of way to get leverage over the other guy for next time. Hmm. All every show that you go to that's not sold out, somebody lost money, but they're not worried about it 
because they lost money as a favor to somebody else and they're going to get that money back. The Frank next Frisbee time. used to use um, at my.com and in real estate in general was real estate's a contact sport, right? <clears throat> that, that um, which is just a silly way of saying it really is about like, you know, developing your portfolio of people who like trust you and who you can contact for things. Is it a similar thing here? Like this is a, we're, we're people of honor and like, don't screw me on this. You'll get away with it, but you'll be sorry later. Not that you would phrase it that way, but like you got to keep a collegial and practical, right? Or you have to strike fear into people's hearts because you have access to artists that they don't. Right. It's about, you know, it's about scarcity and, and oftentimes like Matt Hickey is famously hated by a lot of people, but artists, big artists will sign with him because they think he will fight and make other people miserable on yeah, their behalf. Lawyers and booking agents are not people you hire because you want a friend. Right. And, and, and it's the classic, you know, it's called show business, not show friends. Mm -hmm. But you, you meet people all the time who are like, I hate him so much that I would do anything to, to hurt him except I can't because if I do, then I'm going to get really screwed sometime when a really big band comes through and he remembers, right? But like I know a guy that's, that makes a living as a card counter. He goes oh, to oh, all in, the- in, like in, in casinos? In casinos. He for goes to all the blackjack? casinos for blackjack. Mm -hmm. And he says, the only way you can be a professional card counter is if you have $40,000 to start. <laughs> because you have to be prepared right. to lose $30,000 in the process of at the end of the year <laughs> having made it back. Right, right. And if you start as a card counter and you have $15,000, you might just lose it. And I, that's a really interesting way. It's similar to probably with stocks or anything else. And yes, I did watch two Ricky J movies again last night. But, but where, where you're like, I was well, watching Ricky J two nights ago. Well, I've been watching Deadwood. I've been doing a, a big rewatch of Deadwood, which of course reminds me, oh my God. And so, of course, last night I watched uh, Deceptive. We've talked about this very much, and he can't get rid of the cards. But, um, but, but yeah, I mean, it's like if you had a business strategy that involved nothing but success. Right. That probably exactly. isn't very realistic. So you would say like, well, as you know, look how many contractors, God bless them, are out there today, like always robbing Peter to pay Paul. Um, right. S similar yeah. thing where like you need, um, uh, God, what's the word they would use for this? A, a stake. Like you need right. like this much set aside. You're going to go up and down. We're not looking at how you did today. We're not looking at how you did this month. But like by the end of the year, you need to be on the plus side, not the minus side. Yeah. They're, and and, and don't plan agents, they're all going to be wins. Booking agents that can't do that fail. And <clears throat> you never know about them. What, the only way you know about it is that your favorite band suddenly doesn't have a booking Survivorship agent Survivorship bias, yeah. <laughs> and so, so the geniuses at it are either total assholes or super nice. But however it is, because I saw it all the time on tour, where it was like, oh, man, you really lost a bunch of money at this. And the booking agent would just shrug. And it's like, how do you shrug? You just lost $60,000. And they're like, well, shrug, because at some... And the thing is, to have that kind of confidence that the next time someone else is going to lose $60,000 and you're going to benefit from it, is some... That is just some cold-blooded shit. Uh -huh. That as a band, you're not, you're not playing any of that, right? As a band, you're just like... Hey, we got a fifteen hundred dollar guarantee tonight, and we really hope our fans show up and we sell some T-shirts. Do, do you end up being? And this is not to say anything about Mr. Hickey, but like, 
do you do you have you ever had concerns that you might get caught up in some slipstream of unnecessary negativity as a result oh, it happens, of that? It happens constantly. Like people go, "Oh, that guy." Like but, he's yeah, he works with that guy, and, and you know, and he tried. They tried to make me look like an idiot or lose money. The problem was that, or it wasn't a problem. What was great was that Matt Hickey worked for Frank Riley, <laughs> and Frank Riley. I have no idea who that is, but he sounds scary. <laughs> Frank Riley. Is extremely scary. You don't want to cross Frank Riley. Frank Riley lives in Sausalito. He is, you know, five and a half feet tall and very thin. He has a long ponytail, mm. <laughs> and every day he he starts his morning. He's got a recumbent bike. I mean, he 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 weighs one hundred and fifteen pounds. Every day he starts his mor- morning eating uh, steel cut oats and yogurt, and the and, soul of his enemies. And he comes. You know, he comes out and he's just like the sweetest sweetheart. But everywhere you go in show business, people go, please don't make Frank Riley mad at me. And mm-hmm. I've never seen Frank Riley mad. I've only heard mm-hmm. from everyone in show business Interesting. that don't make Frank Riley mad. So, so one so time. You don't, need, you don't need to see it because you've heard. You know yeah. that that's power. Yeah. It happened to us a lot. But the, the very, the, the, the thing I remember, the one, the one instance I remember, I was backstage at the First Avenue Theater in Minneapolis where they filmed Purple Rain. Mm-hmm. And the First Avenue is where every single living musician plays. There are a few, there are you know, a handful of theaters around the country that every single musician has played, and the First Avenue is one of them. Mm-hmm. And I'm backstage, and this guy comes in, and he's paying the headliner – and he's paying the headliner a briefcase full of money. And then he comes into my dressing room and he hands me. And and the fact that this guy is handing me anything is already remarkable. This guy would normally not. He wouldn't, he wouldn't even walk past my dressing room. But here he is. And he is like a big guy. He's a guy that has a Derringer in his boot. He's mm. a guy that has that. He's a guy that is imagining like a like a John Milius kind of character. He's, he he has buried people in the light from his car headlights. <laughs> you got to cut off the hoof. And he comes into my dressing room and he hands me this two thousand dollars or whatever, uh-huh. and he goes, "Hey, great show tonight. You know, great to see you. I just want you to." Be sure that you tell Frank Riley that you had a good time tonight. Wow. And I was like, hmm. uh, yes, sir. And he was like, just remember to tell Frank what a good time you had tonight. And I was hmm. like, we had a wonderful time. Now, I don't want to, uh, anybody listening that knows the people at the First Avenue, I don't want to, I don't want to, maybe the entire staff of the First Avenue are all teenage girls and they have no idea who I'm talking about. Maybe he's not, maybe that person isn't even involved in, maybe that $2,000 came from a butcher shop somewhere, but the message maybe was Maybe it was Frank Riley sending someone to conduct a test. What it was, was this guy saying, Frank needs to remember that I that you're his little band that, mm-hmm. but somehow they got $2,000 for you. And that means that the next time that Jack White comes through here, even if Frank Riley doesn't, doesn't book Jack White, a deal will go down that involves Frank. Right. That he will one day 
you know, like, oh, we're going to pay Jack White this much because Frank Riley owes that guy. But, but also it's, it's good for bet. that guy if it gets back to us, presumably. It's good for, for that guy, obviously, if it gets back to Frank Riley, the, the, you know, hey, um, you know, your friend in <laughs> – a friend in Minneapolis um, says hi because that also shows – I mean, what is it? it shows it's the ultimate kind of – you know, one doesn't say mm-hmm. – a Cosa Nostra kind of thing where you're like, and let him know that I was loyal and you had a good time and like that entire transaction – it's kind of drawing you into this thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, Frank Frank Riley's <laughs> biography. Yes, I can. You know what they should call that book? Yes, I can. And Frank Riley says I can. Some of it, I think, was that there was a moment, of, uh, you know, a moment of a couple of years where it wasn't clear to everybody whether or not the Long Winters were going to be a much bigger band. There was that moment where it was like, hey, this record's getting a lot of airplay on college. And right. I've never said that that before on college radio, not on college, oncology. Yeah, that's where you study uh, the cancer of universities. But you know, it's getting it's getting that if you go to see our show, it's a real show, and we might just be one record away, one hit away. Right. And the numbers you were selling, you always well, you didn't necessarily. I don't think I'm talking out of school. You you would always say you got to look at the numbers from the first week, the second week, the third week. Does it go up or down? How much? <clears throat> the big number is like you want to see this amount the first week, right? Isn't that yeah. kind of a fairly big one? Yeah. Not not to be like mercantile about it, but that that is something other people will be looking at to determine how this went and what's next. And Everybody's mercantile about it. Yeah. 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 Uh, but I'm not, it's not that you don't. You know. Oh, you're so lucky. You get to play your music. But yeah. um. But but that whole idea though of like, well, this we're that what that number is will also be a little bit of a compass for the next year of our career, right? Well, like, yeah, and because it sets you up for who knows what the hit is going to well, be. Because you don't, you don't know. Does it mean oh shit, you're you're you know you're going back to kill rock stars, or does it mean that Warner Brothers might be wanting to talk to you? Right, and who knows who from that guy's perspective, he's seen so many bands come through where he's like, look, I knew Prince was a star. Look at him. Mm-hmm. But but this fucking fat fuck, he's the rock star now? And then it turns out, yeah, he's that no, man got- he's, Trust me, he's no more a stay that's all I'm saying about it. Yeah, he's no prince. He's a- and, but all of a sudden, <laughs> he's, he's, no he's the guy. Dickerson. I mean, I'm sure that guy, the first time he saw Elliot Smith, was like, huh, what? <laughs> so, Can I please get this guy a sandwich and a large coffee? So he looks at me, and he's like, this guy's wearing two American Apparel shirts. Not one, two. Hmm. Is that a thing? Uh, and and these people are all turning into Jackie Mason. <laughs> are they? Ah, what? What, what, am I, what am I to do with this? You got this, uh, this, 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 this tall fellow over here. He takes my briefcase. So what he's what another thing he might have been saying is when we see you in a year, and you're headlining this. Re- remember this moment, right? Remember that on your way up, we took care of you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, all of that, you know, all of that's in play and it's all way, it was way over my head at the time. And it's, I mean, and was there at least, I mean, you've over always my head been, now. well, but, but like, I think to your credit, you've always been engaged in the business part of this in a way that a lot of people are squeamish about to say the least. Cause uh, I didn't have a tour manager. I had, well, to be you the had, one that and you had to like, you had a wallet with the money in it and you <laughs> wanted to know what was there. Cause it is a business. You have to pay those people whether or not the crowd is into it. Like, it is a business in that sense, very much. But, like, um, 
I don't know. I think I think that is I think that is really it's something a lot of people, including me, shy away from. You'll remember an anecdote of something that happened with you and someone else, and then me and Sean Nelson sitting there and <laughs> taking turns pissing each other's pants while we got uncomfortable about you dealing because you both understood that that's what that was, and that's how you two dogs would would settle a situation like that. But like you don't you sort of you need that, or you need somebody you really super trust, or how do you know if the compass is pointing in the right direction, even when there's good news? There's always somebody who's ready to fuck up your deal for almost no money. The small version of it is that a band that does have a tour manager, the tour managers that su- succeed are the ones that at the end of the night when the band is underpaid and there's nothing that can be done about it the tour manager doesn't tell the band. They don't come back to the van and, and complain. They go, they, all right. They, they make it up out of their part? No, they are also playing the long game of, all I have to do is by the end of this tour, oh, make it pay I off. See. Yes, of course, of course, yes. The band is paying me to never know how much they got. You know, Babe Ruth, Babe Ruth used to strike out a lot. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we, we still remember that fat guy for his hitting. Yeah, he, he, he struck out a lot, but at the end of the day, right? Yep, yep, yep. And so, I mean, and I've told you stories about being on tour with bands where they, the guys in the band didn't know what state they were in. They had to be told what town they were in. And these aren't huge rock stars. That Chris is weird. <laughs> they didn't even know Remember what, <laughs> what van they were in. <laughs> but <laughs> Okay, keep going. You better but, have a good one after that. But you know that that's the uh, that's where you get that whole hello Cleveland, and it's like that's uh, we're in this right. is you know Cincinnati. Well, Bo Diddley says to him, "Well, well, well you musicians, ain't you?" <laughs> or when when uh, when Ira said, uh, "I'm a professional," and laid down in the hallway at a Motel Six and went to sleep. Ira went Glass? to sleep. No, no, no. Ira from Not a Surf. Oh, Ira Flato. Uh, uh, we we were we were uh, we were partying. Yeah, and we got separated, and he didn't know where his hotel was. Oh no, he's so tall. He's very tall, and so he was like, "Well, can I come back to your hotel?" Oh. And we were like, "Absolutely!" Sure. And so he shows up at our hotel, and we're like, "There's two beds in the room. It's me and Eric Corson." And we're standing there like, well, okay, Ira, you can sleep here with Eric. I'm going to sleep over here by the door, and we. In the middle of figuring it out, we look over and Iris rolling up his coat, lays down in that little entryway of a shit motel room next oh, to no, the Oh, no. Do you know how many people have walked there? Well, I, I do exactly. It's a high traffic area, John. Well, how many people came out of the bathroom and hadn't put their dick away and were still dribbling pee as a they- A thousand percent. They're know? sitting there waiting for a low, low concert to start. Jesus he, Christ. He's already laying He's down. so tall and handsome. Eric and I were, were planning to spend a, another hour watching TV. Uh-huh. He's laying down, putting his head on his jacket. Don't, don't wake up. <laughs> and I said, Ira, what are you doing? We got a, we, we'll figure out a bed for you. And he was like, oh, no, I'm a professional. Whoa. And he was asleep in minutes. Oh, I'm so like, envious. Whoa, no blanket, head on, a, head on his jacket. I was like that when I was 20, but John, I am not like that now. Well, and Ira was six years older than the rest of us, right? Ira just had his 60th birthday. Shut your fucking whore mouth. No, no, no. It's true. That beautiful boy is 60? Yeah. And so we we were just like, well, good goddamn. I guess what that means is we are not professionals. Because I was like, this is my bed. (laughs) You know, I need these feather pillows switched out. Hello? (laughs) I need these covers. Hello? (laughs) It's so bright in here. This room smells like bleach. Can we have another room? I don't and like he's the alarm like, clock. 
you know, I don't even need to sleep in the room. I'll sleep in the hall mm. because I'm a professional. When so I all of the that, corridor. you know, but the, the tour, there are so many tour managers that do a big tour and then they never do a tour again yeah. because they come back to the van and they're like, God damn it. That guy shorted us $500. And the band is like, we are paying you to never tell us that. We are paying you to never get a flat tire, to never, you know, to, here's what we want. We get off stage, you hand us our room keys. We get off stage and you hand us a dry towel. Right, right. And that's worth whatever, you know, whatever the money is. And, you know, for me to not know what state of the United States I was in, yeah. To not to not look out the window and put together what state you were in People by laugh, the signs, but I mean it's not that hard for that to happen. I mean, no, you're, especially move, you're moving a lot. You you're, you're something you learn about, or at least I learned about jet lag over time. That explained a lot is that with jet lag in particular. I know this is not strictly germane, but like your the organs, the systems of your body experience time in different ways. It just yeah. feels like they experience it in the same way when you're in the same environment. But like your liver thinks it's a different time than parts of your brain do. It's all really confusing. And and like you, you think you could eyeball from just without looking at the area code, you would know. At this particular, like, Motel 6, you would be able to know, like, which um, eastern seaboard city you're in? I mean, the first thing is that all of the state highways across the country have a silhouette of the state behind the number. Oh, that geography is so handy, huh? If, if this is Highway 20 and you're in Pennsylvania, <laughs> there will be a little picture of Pennsylvania. And so if you know the difference between Pennsylvania and Florida, that's a clue, it, just at the silhouette. Um, but also like when you get into the motel room, there will be a little thing next to the phone that tells you the phone numbers of, of yeah, local right, places. Right, right, it yeah. will probably have the, the state on it. But the problem That's is keeping, yeah. keeping all of that stuff going in my head is why I smoked 40 cigarettes a day because you're right. My liver was somewhere else and I was never relaxing. I was never just right. sitting in the van and looking at my phone or my book or whatever. I was always like. What state are we in? What time is it? What, you know, last night we got shorted $250 and, rubble, and rubble, tonight, rubble. Yeah. tonight I'm going to make that guy really pay, even though he had nothing to do with it. You know, tonight I'm going to this and that. And, you know, and <laughs> Frank so, Riley sends his regards. <laughs> exactly. Somebody in the van pulls off their, their, uh, their earphones and they go, Hey, I've got to take a piss. And I'm like, piss in your mouth. <laughs> you know, like that was. Part of my problem. Uh -huh. Part of why I was bad at this job. Yeah. Um, or if not bad at it, then uh, I'm. I mean, I think I would have been a good tour manager. But, <gasps> have but, you thought about that for the for the sunset of your career? Well, no, because uh, you know now I don't think I would. Oh. Now the last thing I want to do is be in a van, even if I'm the star of the show. <sighs> to be in a van and just be the guy that's like dealing with with petulant children. No. Oh my God! Oh, It'd be you. worse than being a middle school teacher. But can you imagine having to wrangle people in their twenties right now? Yeah. Oh, well, and people in their twenties are di different than people in their twenties when you know when I was in my twenties. You know, today's people in their twenties are going to make people in, the t in their twenties in the sixties look like people in their twenties in the twenties. They absolutely do. The people in the people that are in their twenties now are going to make people in the future look like people in like in their twenties in the seventies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really hard. A fraction. It's hard to get if you two plus two is five, and I don't know if you've seen some of the infographics. I think I saw a YouTube video that about that. Yeah. yeah, but um, but yeah. I I definitely I used to fight with other people's tour managers 
over how many dry for, towels for there were. Well, no, just because I was like, well, I need towels. And they're like, well, fuck you. Right. And I'm like, well, I don't have a tour manager to say fuck you back. So it's got to oh, be I me. See, like, it's, it's like there's an aspect of like, okay, I'm the chaperone for this elementary school trip. But that doesn't mean I brought a jukebox, a, ju- a juice box for everybody. I brought a juice box for my kid. It's not my job to give juice boxes to everybody. Yeah, it was. It's the old Colin Malloy has the orangeinas. They only, they're only his orangeinas because his. Were you, know, his, were you not told about that, John? Not to not to touch his craft <laughs> services. We we never told that, John. And the problem it, this, was, I feel like it was marked and explained very clearly that the stuff in this room is for, is for Mr. Malloy. Their touring manager, their tour manager, might have told my tour manager that. I see, but they're they're banking it up for Frank Riley. Well, but it, but in this situation. There, nope. It was just us in the room, and so Colin had to tell me, which was the, which probably oh, was like, no. what am I paying people Why for? Why did you put him in that position, John? Colin the, doesn't want to do that. The worst was Interpol. Huh. Interpol. Wait, you played with Interpol? Yeah, Interpol was coming to Seattle. <laughs> I loved them. We got on the bill. I used to listen to them on the uh, on the uh, on the uh, on the stairmaster at the Y. You know, they, they sent their record to Josh Rosenfeld, wanted to be on uh, Barsook, and he said, eh, it sounds like New Order. It and sounds a lot like Joy Division in then, parts, yeah. Then the next, like this was, you know, six months later. Yeah. They booked the show in Seattle at a club when they were still just a New York regional whatever McCall it. Yeah. And halfway across the country, their record started to blow up. And by the time they got to Seattle... They could have sold out a venue three times the size of the venue they were playing that night. Lying around the block. Ooh, life comes at you fast, huh? Yeah, and this was a venue uh, that, I, that I knew pretty well, and I knew for sure that their capacity was 350 and that they had sold 900 tickets. Uh, I, because, wait, like, that's, that seems crazy fast. Well, it happened it, that because uh, because a song shoots up the charts. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. It's on college radio, a song shoots up the charts. You never know how that many kids all find out about it at once, but that's how things happen. And so we're on this bill, and it's now a huge show. And somewhere between New York and Seattle, Interpol got into the into a mindset that they were the biggest band in America. Mm-hmm. And it, it ha- I've seen it happen a no, lot. I, I, I bet it's difficult not to. I bet it's super difficult not to. Right? You leave, yeah. you leave New York, and you're like, America, here we come. And halfway across the country, you open up uh, Spin, and it's like, best new band. And you go, what? <laughs> Everyone what? but John. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, and by the time you're playing in Portland, it's like there's a riot in the street. And you're like, it's us. We're the Rolling Stones. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so they came into this venue that I knew really well that had a dressing room. Oh, Jesus. And my mistake was that I had brought my girlfriend, Megan, to the show backstage because this was a big moment. This was early in the Long Winter's career. This mm-hmm. was a sold-out show. This is Megan show. that did the denim? This is de- denim Megan. Mm-hmm. This is Megan that decided she was going to make purses. Mm-hmm. She went and like bought... I remember really liking her. Yeah, she's amazing. She bought a, uh, she bought a ton of leather scraps in, in weird colors and weird shapes. She sat in her living room, sewed purses, and then would walk out through the town with this purse on her shoulder, and women would come up to her and say, I'll give you $500 for that purse. That's the dream. That's the dream right there. And she would say, oh, I don't charge for them, and she'd give the purse to the woman. 
Mm. And every purse she made, she walked out, and by the end of the day, she had no purse because she needs a Frank Riley for purse. And that's because she she believed in cat power. She was like, "Oh, oh I don't I do see. this for money." Mm-hmm. And it's like, "What the fuck do you mean you don't do it for money? You're you're on your you're on your way. If you're making purses and and women are buying them off your shoulder, you're on your way, babe." Yeah, like we're we're halfway to living in Switzerland. How, how did like, uh, how did Interpol respond to to, to Leather Megan? So Megan comes backstage, and we're sitting on the couch. The couch. Uh-huh. And Interpol walks in, and they've got skinny jeans in on, and they've got pointy shoes, yeah. and they've got spiky hair, and the one dude is wearing a black suit and looks like Bella Lugosi. <laughs> and they walk in, and they see I'm sitting on the couch with my admittedly beautiful and ferocious girlfriend. And they come in and they kind of stand there and they make some weird chit chat. And I'm like, hi, you know, nice to meet you. We're the long winners. And they're like, oh, hey, you know, hey, man, what's up? And then they kind of wander out. And it's like, oh, okay, well, they're probably going down to tune their (gasps) guitar. Oh, no, did you get a talking to? And then the tour manager comes. Oh, shit, dog. And he's like, hey, um, this dressing room is for the headliner only. Yeah. They've got 200 couches where you can sleep tight, but not this one. And I mm-hmm. stood up to leave the room, Oof. apologize. Hey, uh, sorry, you know, yeah, sorry. Yeah. I get Mix it. up. We can fix this. Mix yeah, up. We're, I'm going to go down and sit on top of my amp and smoke cigarettes until the show. But no problem. And Megan goes, not, not moving. She goes, oh, did we break your dressing room? <laughs> <laughs> And I go, Megan, you know, come on, this is the, this, you know. Yeah. And she's like, what? What? They can't, like, share a coffee table? I'll scoot over. Talk to a man like Mo Green. (laughs) And and the the tour manager is just like, Mm -hmm. he's basically doing what uh, Axl Rose did to uh, Kurt Cobain at the Grammy Awards about about, uh, Courtney Love. He's like, will you shut your bitch up? And Courtney Love's like, I'm going to fucking, you know, like right in his face, right? He looks at me like, what the fuck is your problem? You, uh, not even addressing her. Oh, you had and, the answer for your tart. Yeah. Yeah. And she, she stands up and is just like, you know, well, what if I sit over here? Well, what if I sit over here next to this plant? Is that fine? Oh, is there enough what, room for John? them? You know what, John? I have a feeling she's dealt with people like him before. Oh, she's like, you know, she's like my sister. She's like, at, she's abs- absolutely operating at a higher frequency. Or like, 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 oh, so you want to do that? Okay. And if sure. I was, if I was the boyfriend that I should have been, mm. which is Sid Vicious, hmm. if I had been like, you know, oh. Uh, uh, I'm a little dumb, but you know, I know I'm beautiful. Yeah. If I had just been dumb and had gone, you know, I'm kind of abu- I'm kind of emotionally abused by my girlfriend, even though I'm the rock star. So I'm just going to sit here, or I'm going to get up and stand over by the door and let her talk for me. Uh, uh, she probably would have won that fight. But I was like, Megan, come on, like, don't, you know. Yeah. Get, God. Get out of here! Like this is imp- this is show business. You don't even know what you're doing. You know, you're you're ruining it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I did get her out of there, and she was she wasn't even mad. She was just being a Susan Roderick. She was just like, oh well, 
I'm sorry. And as she walks out, she's like, uh, you know, I'm flickering <laughs> it's a the bummer. lights. We won't get to hang out with the band. They seem yeah, like, so cool. <laughs> Ooh, flicker, oh, flicker, flicker. And then we pass them standing on the stairs waiting for their tour manager to ask us to leave. And we were like, oh, you know, and she's oh, just like, geez. hey, guys, your room is ready. Oh, and God. at the time, I thought that show business was serious and that these were the Frank Riley moments where it's like now Interpol is going to have they're going to think of the long winners and it's and then when we're all at Madison Square Garden they're going to blah 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 and this is now I owe somebody $200 and I don't even know who it is mm-hmm. and she's just like you know cat power doesn't even use money she people just pay for her shows with corn cobs <laughs> You have change for a corn cop. <laughs> we got to get out of here. <laughs> oh, shit.